Heavenly Father, we stand before thee now, completely exposed, knowing that thou art the supreme personality, the one who knows all, who understands all, who exists outside of time and space itself. And though we don't understand that, and really we can't understand that, yet it warms our hearts to think that thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, instructed us to refer to thee as Father, to come before thee and call thee Abba in the words of the language. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this privilege and we now gather at thy feet for learning. We ask that thy word would be open to us and that thy spirit would be among us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we were singing this morning uh, before the service, there was a verse that caught my attention from hymn 47. The second verse. Strive thou, for the gate is narrow, and the way of life is straight. In this vale of death and sorrow, dangers ever lie in wait. And as I was sitting in the bench and, and thinking about that, because of course we've been going through the life of Christ, and in Matthew 7, Jesus specifically says that the gate is straight. It's a narrow gate, and it's a narrow way that leads to life. And the contrast is the, is the wide gate and the broad way that leads to destruction. And he contrasts the two. And the, the question came to my mind, why is that gate straight? Why is the way narrow? And so with the Lord's help, I'd like to read a portion of scripture found in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. So if you'll open with me to Hebrews chapter 12, I'd like to read that chapter together with you. Hebrews 12 obviously follows Hebrews 11, which is a very famous chapter about the, the heroes of faith. And so this is now the summation of that. And uh, then the, the writer of Hebrews, who some believe is the Apostle Paul, continues on with a, with a thought that is linked to it. Hebrews chapter 12, starting with the first verse. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, these saints of the past, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he 
for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, and of things that are made, and those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I've read the entire chapter. Let's kneel for prayer. Our loving, eternal Father in heaven. O oh Lord, your word says that you dwell in the highest heavens upon your high and lofty throne. But you also dwell in the hearts of the broken, of the contrite, of the repentant, of those that turn to you and submit and surrender their life totally to the living God. Father in heaven, it humbles us to know that you have condescended to sinful men and women like we. 
You have come down to this earth in the form of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, was crucified, died and was buried, and on the third day he was raised gloriously by thy, the power of the Holy Spirit, your glory. Father in heaven, we are thankful that 2,000 years later that this offer is being made to all men and women. This is offer of salvation is free. It's a gift. It is your grace. Yet it is and it was not cheap. For it took your beloved son to leave his courts of glory. As we read in the letter to the Philippians chapter 2. He took upon himself. And became in the fashion of a man. Flesh and blood. And though. He did this. He didn't think it was robbery or something to be grasped at or to take advantage of, to be opportunistic, to be equal with God. But he took upon himself the nature of a servant and he came to serve. And he came not only to serve in ministry of healing and teaching but to serve up his body as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for each and every one of us. O oh Lord, as we sing in a song that this demands my life, my all, for what he has done for us demands of us that we offer also our lives as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, a life of service, a life of devotion, a life of worship and adoration of the Most High and Living God. And Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will move amongst us, would stir us. May your word, which is able to save the souls of men and women, which lives and abides forever, which is able to make us be, become born again, your word tells us. May your word find its place in the hearts of all, especially those that have not yet surrendered their lives to Jesus. O oh Lord, as your word through the manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus, for the Apostle Paul, Saul at the time, as it revealed to him who he was persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ, that your word would also awaken those that have not yet recognized themselves as sinners, those that have thought that I've done enough, those that have thought that attending church is enough, 
But Lord, you have given all and you expect us to give all and surrender all on the altar. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day of rest, this day of worship. You are indeed worthy of our praise and adoration as weak and feeble as we may be. We pray that your name be praised and glorified and lifted up this day. And we pray especially for those that could not make it here with us, to be with us. We know that there are many that are watching on social media, on Microsoft Teams. And Lord, we pray that you would bless them also, encourage them, convict them, strengthen them, and lead them to the way, the truth, and the life, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we are mindful for those that are not here, that are suffering, that are chronically, have been chronically ill, that have been perhaps having thoughts of uncertainty, having thoughts of why is this happening. Lord, we pray that you would touch them with your hand, that you would lay your hands upon them, that they may feel your presence in their lives. And that they would recognize that as long as you are there, there's no safer place to be, safe in the arms of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would comfort them and help us to keep them in prayer. And we pray for not only for us to ask you to do these things, Lord, but that we would also make efforts and attempts to visit and encourage, that we would also encourage them personally and do the works of pure religion, which is undefiled in your sight, the word says, to visit the, the, the sick, the, the, the widows, the orphans, and the fatherless, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to visit those that are in prison. For this is, Lord, the righteousness we need to hunger after. To realize because God loved us, we love him. And if we love him, we love his own. And if we love one another, we keep his commandments. Father, we pray for the ones that we have mentioned already in Zambia that our thoughts and collections are going for this month. We pray that the children there may be cared for, those that have been abandoned for many years and abused those that now have a hope going forward into the future because of the efforts of many that have contributed in prayer, in finance, in, and in visitation. We pray also for the many that are the, care, the, the caregiving that is done through the Cheerful Giver program, the efforts that are made individually and in different churches, that your name would be spread abroad that you have come here not only to save sinners but to, to give them a more abundant life. Father, we pray for our own, for the widows, for those that have lost their spouses in the recent future uh, past and we pray that you would comfort them and strengthen them. Some cannot even attend anymore. 
Lord, we pray that you'd continue to be with them and help us to visit them. Father, we pray for the war-torn country of the Ukraine and there are many wars all over this world. Lord, you have allowed these things to happen. You have uh, shown that, that this is the, the end of sin. Not the end of sin. This is the result of sin, but the end is still to come. And Lord, we pray that your will may be done, whatever you have allowed to happen, so that your plans, your decrees will be fulfilled. But we also pray for protection for those that are, your, that are yours, those that are suffering oppression. And some have been may perhaps killed on the fields of battle. Lord, we pray that you would be with each and every one of them there. Father, you know all of our needs before we come to you. You know before we ask. Yet it pleases thee that we ask thee to show that you are the only one that can show us through this life and provide for our each and every need. And help us in return to be grateful and thankful for unto thee belongs all the glory. We pray that you would be with our dear brother now as you'd expound your word and open hearts that they may receive it on good ground. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I'd like to just say that this chapter is an incredibly dense chapter. It really requires quite a depth of background biblical knowledge, and I can't even hope to begin to fully expound on it. But there was a few things in here that I feel the Lord laid on my heart, and I'd like to perhaps share with you. So to address the first part of the question that I posed, <clears throat> at the beginning of this service. Why is that gate straight? And straight in the Old English usage means narrow, a slot, a very, very narrow gate. At first blush, when we would look at that, we'd say, well, how unreasonable, how exclusive. If God really loves us, why wouldn't he make that gate broad? Make it as wide as possible so whoever wants to come in can. Wouldn't that be reasonable? This is, in fact, I think, one of the principal objections raised against Christianity is its exclusive nature because you can't get around that. The one who set the course of our lives, the fulfillment of all scripture simply said, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by him. That's a pretty exclusive statement. Not one you can dodge. Sunday mornings at home, one of the traditions of Grace's childhood that we have kept is to listen to the Mansfield Church radio program over... Uh, the internet, WMAN, and uh, they have a half-hour segment, and one of the brothers will share some thoughts. And the brother who was sharing this morning, he made a few interesting observations. He, he said, 
first of all, he heard a quote somewhere else and he repeated it and I thought it was good. And as I thought about it more, I thought, oh, this is really good. The quote was simple. I can do all things with a verse out of context. That's how we make that gate broad. We take one thing and we adapt it to our liking, but that's not the way this gate works. You see, you can't take a demolition hammer to that narrow gate and widen it a little bit. God's made that gate. And many have come up to that gate and turned away from it because they felt it was too narrow for them and what they wanted to bring with them. You see, the gate is never too narrow for you. It's too narrow for you and. Now, why is that important? Well, the Apostle Paul in chapter 12 here, he uses some interesting analogies. He uses the analogy of an athlete. He talks about running with patience the race that's set before us. Now, anyone who went through public school has probably had to do some sort of a race at some time or another. There are short races and there are long races. There are some that excel at the, the short races. I remember one, one young man, I still remember his name for some reason. He was the champion sprinter in our public school, elementary public school, and he, he was asthmatic, which is kind of interesting. So he would take a couple puffs of his puffer before the race, and then he'd run like nuts for 100 meters, and he'd finish first, and he was good at that. But he was never the champion long-distance runner. He didn't have the lungs for that. The champion long-distance runner was another young man, actually from the Van Streelen family. He's kind of related to our church family distantly. Uh, Ruth and Chris Verlin there, if you remember, uh, Mark Verlin, who lost his family, he married Paul's sister, who is this friend of mine that I went to school with. That's kind of a long-winded explanation, but he was the champion long-distance runner, and he was a long-legged young guy, didn't win the sprints, but man, on the long-distance course, he knew how to pace himself and still save some for the end. And he won. He was good. So let's go back now to this analogy of athletes. When I was young, I was never really much of an athlete, but I used to collect baseball and hockey cards, I think, with every other kid of my age. Something interesting, on the front was the glossy picture of the athlete, some kind of an action pose that looked exciting. But the backs were all the same, at least at first glance. Tables of numbers. Why was that important? Why were those stats on the back important? And why did we actually scrutinize the backs of the cards more than the fronts? The front was the more interesting part, it's got the picture. But we all looked at the backs and we compared these numbers. Hitting percentages, ERAs, uh, whatever, number of goals, number of assists, number of penalties. Why was that important? Why are numbers important in sports? Like I said, I'm not much of an athlete. I was a bench warmer in high school, played a little bit of volleyball. But the job of the team manager, team manager was to record aces, kills, successful passes, errors, so that, that those numbers could all be looked at afterwards. Again, why are those numbers important? Because the numbers don't lie. The numbers tell you what you really are. 
on the playground, every other kid feels that he's the greatest. But when you look at the numbers, there's only one greatest, at least for that gate. You see, that gate is narrow because only you can get through it. You can't bring anything else with you, not even your ego. That, now to give you another analogy maybe, I had some issues with some bolts on Saturday. And if you've ever done anything with a fine thread bolt, it's got to be exactly the right size. Close is not good enough. And have you ever tried to put a bolt that's a little too big into a nut that's a little too small? What happens? You end up ruining it. Whatever is the softer metal strips. And so it is with God. There's one gate that only fits us. There's no room for anything else. So that gate actually is the, the, the filter or, the, or the, the bolt hole through which we have to pass. Whatever is not who we really are needs to be left behind. Here's the thing. God sized that hole for us. He's told us in his word what the dimensions of that hole is. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. That bolt hole, that narrow gate, is simply God's definition of what fallen man is. You may think you're bigger than that, and if you do, you won't fit. That's all it is. A stripping away. Now, why is that important? Why couldn't he just, you know, give a little bit of slop? You know, make, make that hole just a little bit wider, a little bit of wiggle room, as we like to say. He's God. He's holy. He's pure. And in order... In order for us to partake of his goodness, we need to conform to his standards. Like I said, when I was in high school, I liked playing volleyball. And in volleyball, in or out is really important. I like in other sports too. If any part of the ball tags that line, that ball is in. And for games, we, uh, there's, there's usually three judges. You have two linesmen, which watch those lines, stand out opposite corners, and the, and the ref who stays in the middle. And the ref watches for net violations and calls uh, uh, improper passes. And the only job of those two linesmen on the corners is to decree if that ball is in or out. That's it. A good linesman calls it accurately. But a bad linesman uh, looked kind of in, looked kind of out, right? Nobody wants that. Why? Because actually, deep down for all of us, the truth is important. We'd like to bend the truth. We'd like to make that gate a little bit wider for me, but not for the other guy. Not for the other guy. But God's too good for that. He won't let you do that. God sees things as they are. He sees each one of us as we are. And so if we are to be part of his goodness, to experience him for who he really is, which is the highest good, 
Everything else must be stripped away. We have to see ourselves as we are. Those numbers on the back of the baseball cards, they told things as they really were. They didn't account for personality or showmanship or anything like that. Pure data. And so God says, look, if you want to experience my goodness, you know, what, would athlete, what would athletic competitions be if the rules became flexible? If in or out was a relative thing? If first or third was a relative thing? And you, got, you let the athletes decide who really finished first. No, there has to be an objective outside standard. That's necessary. We recognize that. If you want to, to have the, 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 the joy of victory... The field has to be level. It has to be fair. That's right. That's good. Nobody likes a victory that, no athlete, I think, likes a victory that's won unfairly. And this is why even the athletes get upset when there's game fixing that goes on. They want to win, and they want to win legitimately. God's goodness decrees that that gate is narrow. He made it wide enough for every single person to pass through it. But they have to pass through as they are. They have to acknowledge themselves as they are in order to pass through. So the question isn't, why didn't God make this gate bigger? So that lots of people could come through. The question really is, did God make that gate wide enough for anyone to get through? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. His own son died to punch that gate through that wall for each one of us here. And he made sure to make sure that gate was big enough for anyone who wanted to come through. But they could only come through alone as they are. That's fair. That's good. And if you want to taste good, it had to be that way. By taking salvation out of our hands, taking it all upon himself, he made sure that there was no barrier to anyone. One of the words that I became familiar with when we were doing this renovation project now some 10 years ago was barrier-free. And that was the standard. We had to make sure that the entrance was barrier-free and there were certain minimum or maximum slopes that were allowed for walkways so that someone in a wheelchair could safely navigate them, thresholds, uh, height steps, Grab handles, doors that could be pressed even if you didn't have full use of your hands. All of those to remove the barriers. Well, Christ went even further than that. He made sure that no one would be prevented from entering that gate if they would come as they are. That's it. Okay, so that's the first part of the question. The second part, and I haven't even got to Hebrews 12. I'm sorry I'm taking so long here. The second part is, why is the way narrow? Why not make the, na the, the gate narrow and then make the way broad? Well, for the same reason that I've already given, God is good. And his definition of good is calibrated by himself. Now, that seems unfair to us, but that's only because we're uncalibrated. <laughs> 
We don't have a fixed rex reference point, so we look at ourselves and we say, we're pretty good compared to other people. Well, guess what? If you go into the worst prisons of this land, you will find the same mentality. I'm not a bad guy. Well, then why are you locked up in here? Away from the rest of society. I know there's problems also in the justice system there, but for those that are convicted, rightfully, they may be good compared to the other criminals, but that does not make them good in the absolute sense. So we need something now to calibrate by. Last couple days, I've been putting together a table for the family, and the top of it is a slab of an inch and a half thick of solid beach, laminated together with glue. <coughs> and without a reference point, it looks pretty flat. But I've got a four-foot level that I was using as a straight edge. When I laid that table out for the first time after being stored for years in my garage, I put it on there and I thought, wow, this thing is out by a good quarter inch in the middle. It's dished. What am I going to do? I got to, maybe I have to cut this thing apart in strips and run it through the planer and then biscuit joint it together. I'm thinking, this is way too much work. This is just not going to work. Well, YouTube to the rescue. So I go on YouTube and start looking at other people that have had the same problems. And you know what the solution was? So interesting. Wipe it down with some water, lay a plastic sheet over it, and leave it for a little while on the cupped side. What happens is the water works its way into that slab, swells those fibers, and suddenly that quarter-inch bow in there straightens out to be nice and flat. That's all it took, a little water. But the whole thing is, I wouldn't have known that until I got to putting the legs on the table if I hadn't used a reference. And then there would have been all kinds of problems, right? You spill something, it would go to the middle of the table, plates and things wouldn't sit evenly, perhaps. I'd only know that later on. You see, God is the reference point. We're the ones that are messed up. Can you imagine what would happen if they had built this building with all the workmen using a different measuring tape and a different level, nothing would be plumb or level, or if it was, it would only be by accident. The way needs to be straight. And where it's not straight, it needs to be brought into straight. So let's talk now a little bit about Hebrews 12 in our remaining minutes. I'm sorry, I wasn't more concise. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth, he whips every son whom he receiveth. You see, the narrow way is not for us. It's not God trying in his capricious nature to make us conform to some unreasonable standard. It's for our good. That's why the way has to be narrow. If you want to taste the goodness of God, you have to follow the good way. That's the only way it works. You see, the broad way is not the broad way because it was specially designed that way. It's simply every other way except for God's way. And the end result of that is destruction and death. Why? Because God is the source of all good in life. Any other way is a deviation from that and leads to death. 
part of me wishes it would be the other way, but then I would be destroying what really was good in the process. We've tried to preach the narrow way from this pulpit for years since this church was created because we realize that the truth is the only thing we have. If we depart from it, the end is destruction. We're not paid up here as ministers. That's a good thing. Because it, it, we will never be prevented from speaking the truth. No one can say, well, don't talk that way, otherwise I'm not paying your salary. We can simply preach the truth in the fear of God and hope that it will have its intended result. And though I would love for these benches to be filled on a Sunday morning, if I do it by trying to make that gate wider or that way broader, I send you to destruction, not goodness and eternal life. Don't faint under the chastening of the Lord. It's for your good. Don't look at this as an unreasonable thing. The thing is, if this is true, that anything less is a hindrance. Paul uses the example of the athlete. He says, laying aside those things which so easily beset us. What would you think about an athlete showing up to a sprint in a snowsuit? See, that's ridiculous. It's going to slow you down. You drop every unnecessary ounce, gram. They weigh the soles of the shoes that they run in. Why? Because victory is so important that anything that will hinder me from that, I leave. I set it aside. That's how to be crowned the victor. The good news is, the victory is not an exclusive thing. You're all invited, and it doesn't depend on your athletic ability. Just your willingness to conform to what God's goodness really is. Because in the end, you will be happiest and best off for, for it. We look at these things as being unreasonable because they're in the Word of God. But somehow, it's all, it all makes sense when we look at it in the realm of, say, athletics. We understand it there. It's the same. Because God is good, the gate is narrow and the way is narrow. The Anabaptists famously said, the gate is narrow and the way is narrow. Few find the entrance to the, to the narrow gate and pass through it, and even fewer walk on the narrow way. You can't experience God's goodness without going about things his way. There is no other way. And if I was to tell you anything less, I'd be selling you a ticket to hell. It's that stark. Realize he loves you, and it's because he loves you he chastens you. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. As uh, Brother Phil was preaching, I like the topic of athletes. I grew up as an athlete, went through some pictures recently, so a lot of old photos. And um, the scripture that came to my mind was the one in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you remember, the Apostle Paul was trying to vindicate his apostleship and, and how uh, others have certain rights. The apostles had this right to lead about a wife, and this, wife, this apostle had this other privilege. And he also had privileges and rights in the church. 
But he didn't want to abuse these rights. He didn't want other people to think that's the only reason he's um, uh, preaching or teaching. He says this in verse 24 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they which do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. There are those that run and strive and make all this effort to win something that's going to perish. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, not as a shadow boxer, he's not vain, not just, just for the sake of exercise of the body, for example. But I keep my body under subjection and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So the Apostle Paul is saying, if we are to follow the, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we need to do it lawfully, according to God's will, according to God's laws, and not to do the things that I think are okay. I was, I just watched a, a clip on this, this mega church. The music is supposed to be beautiful and glorious, but the things that occurred in that mega church, starting in Australia, hiding known sin and abuse. And then it happened in New York with the main pastor. As long as, as the music was great, as long as there's all these people, does that mean that they are running this race lawfully according to the will of God? In Hebrews we read that we ought to lay aside every sin and weight that so easily besets us. It comes upon us. And we can't say, well, I'm weak and I just keep on doing it. Everyone else is doing it. How come that pastor allows it? What is our, what is our point of reference as we have heard? Is it the word of God? And these clouds of witnesses that he talked about, since we are encompassed by the clouds of witnesses that were given in, in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham, Isaac, Enoch, and so forth, all these witnesses to the gospel, to the word of God that came before us, he's not saying that they're standing at the finish line clapping for us as we're passing by. That's not the kind of witnesses they're talking about. He's talking about those witnesses that are running in the same direction as we are, that have run in the same directions that we are trying to run. On that narrow way, through the narrow gate, let's emulate them. Because this is not a solo race. This is not you alone. This is you and God and the church that he's given us, the body of Jesus Christ to which we are accountable, to which we need. No man is an island. No man can say, I'm doing this alone. And that's why God gave the church. 
The scripture says in Galatians, or, or Hebrews here, it says, but the, 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 and in Galatians, that the, we have come to this, this city where just men are made perfect. And the Jerusalem that is above is the mother of us all. And he's giving this allusion to the fact that we are born into the church of God. And we need to remain in the church of God. We need to be accountable to the church of God. He says in Hebrews chapter 10 that there are some that forsake the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. And that becomes a point of temptation. When we try to go it alone, it's like the brother Willie, when I first heard that uh, analogy uh, in CFG, when he was teaching CFG, he says, you take a coal out of a fireplace, you put it by itself, and very soon it dies out. It doesn't have the heat of the rest of the coals. And so this is not just a message for the unconverted. This is a message for us all. That God has placed us into his body by being born again through the spirit into his body of whom Christ is the head. And we have all these witnesses and all the witnesses of his word and all the witnesses of the past prophets and apostles that we can be together saved when we're all in the ark. We're all in the boat, which is the ark of Jesus Christ. I pray that the Lord will bless this word. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.